Um, so I'd love to start in two chronicles. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, please do run up to the back and grab one from the back because we're going to be in a couple of bits of scripture tonight. Um, and you can do that while everyone else is turning to two chronicles. In my Bible, it's page 438. That may or may not bear any resemblance to where it is in your Bible, but I'm sure that for some of us it might. And if I could ask us to do a very un-Anglican thing, we've done, the very, we've done a very good Anglican thing, which is to leave the front circle completely empty. Could, could those on the very back circles come and take this second from the front circle? I'm not going to ask you to sit on the very front row, but um, Richard and Rob and Jane and Jackie and um, Chris and Rupert, if you could, we've got a whole circle of chairs right here, and it would be lovely to all be in the same place um, rather, than, rather than spread fire in the far corners of the church. Thank you. Well, thank you, friends. Feel free. You, you're welcome to the very front or to the second from the front, but sit where you're comfortable. But now we're all in the same, same body of the church. <laughs> they say the last shall be first and the first shall be last, don't they? Jesus actually tells a parable, doesn't he, about someone who sits in the place of dishonor, but then the, the bridegroom says, come, friend, come sit higher up. Come sit in the place of honor. Um, there we go. We're in 2 Chronicles um, and chapter 5. And what I want to read is, a, is, a, is just an account of worship, of, of the worship service. So let's read 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 4. And we're in 900 BC, so that's 2,900 odd years ago. Um, and as we read about this worship service a, a very long time ago, uh, we'll see some things that are quite familiar and some things that are quite different. But let's, let's read together 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 4. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the Levites took up the ark, and they brought up the ark and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The Levitical priests carried them up, and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. The priests then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the Ark and covered the Ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends extending from the Ark could be seen from in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from outside the holy place, and they are still there today. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. The priests then withdrew from the holy place. All the priests who were there had consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jedaphun and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals and other instruments, the singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good. His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, 
for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Um, So as we read that worship service from a little less than 3,000 years ago, there's some similarities, aren't there? There's some musicians. Uh, They've got lyres, harps, cymbals, and trumpets. Uh, There's some worship leaders. The singers raise their voices and sing to the Lord. He is good. His love endures forever. Even some of the same words that we sing in our songs today. Um, There are priests, just like there are priests in many churches um, today. The people of God have gathered together to worship him, to sing. The scriptures are present. Um, But there are some differences too, aren't there? They, um, in verse 6, sacrificed so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. Uh, I can't quite picture just what that would have looked like physically, the smell and the blood running down the Um, into whatever troughs they had to take it away, a a big exercise. Uh, I was told before I was ordained that the priests in the Old Testament were primarily barbecuers and butchers and asked if that was what priesthood was today. Um, They sacrificed thousands, um, thousands of animals. They used different instruments. We don't have many harps or lyres or trumpets, though perhaps they should make a comeback, I'm not sure. Um, And in verse 13 and 14, as the people of God sing praises to God, the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud of God's glory, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Can you imagine how amazing that must have been? They'd come and they'd brought their sacrifices, they'd played their instruments, they'd sung their songs, they were bringing their worship to God, his people gathered together, that party atmosphere that we have on Sunday as we celebrate together. And the the Lord meets his people, the cloud fills the temple, so they can't continue their service because they're struck down with awe of the God who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, I don't know, reading it, my first reaction was to think, I wish I'd been there. I'm a little bit jealous how wonderful that would have been. But of course, what they had there is only a pale reflection, we know, of what is available to us. Because in the Old Testament, before Jesus had died on the cross, they brought sacrifices as a symbol of the need to be forgiven forgiven of their sins and of the cost of forgiveness. And the Lord sent his Holy Spirit on individuals from time to time for different purposes, on Saul, on David, on Bezalel, on various other Old Testament characters. Uh, But now we in the new covenant approach the Lord not through the blood of thousands of cows and sheep that must be sacrificed week after week in order for us to be able to come into the presence of the holy God. He's with us all the time. He's with us 24-7. He's put his Holy Spirit in our hearts as a seal and as a deposit and a guarantee of his love for us. And so the access that the people of Israel had to the glory of God and to the King of Kings when the glory cloud filled the temple is less than the access that you and I have through Jesus' death on the cross for us. Um, And so it makes me think, if that was then, how much more is available now? Jesus' sacrifice, which for us is better than many cows and sheep. The Holy Spirit, not outside to look at, but inside in our lives and present in our midst together. And we come tonight and we come every Sunday to do the same thing that the people of Israel did here which is to adore God and to sing, he is good and his love endures forever. Uh, And where I want to take us to from Chronicles chapter five is to Revelation chapter four, 
because what we see here in, um, in 2 Chronicles 5 is just a glimpse at one time and one place in history of what is happening in heaven 24 7. Uh, in heaven right now, in heaven while we were asleep, in heaven long before we were born and long after we die, something is taking place that makes that worship service in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 um, look boring and distant and unimpressive. Um, because in heaven, every second of every day from age to age from the before the beginning of time through to the end of the world and long after into eternity the lord god is perfectly present and is worshipped by all his creation um, so let's read together revelation chapter 4 a picture of what is happening in heaven even as we meet together now uh, and it's john speaking in this vision after this i looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre, round the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And so we see that the Lord is praised through eternity, adored for who he is. Adoration is worship of God for who he is. Uh, praise is gratitude to God for what he's done. Uh, in Revelation chapter 4, we see adoration, praise of God for who he is. In Revelation chapter 5, uh, praise of God for what he's done. Uh, and the Lord is worshipped all, from all, all time, uh, by the angels and the elders, and we read later in Revelation, by the multitude without number. Uh, and all of the details here in chapter 4, there's lots of them in this picture language, uh, they're all pointing to God's holiness, his, the fact that he is worthy to be praised. Um, we see it in the way that John is clearly at the borders of language. He's seen something, and he's struggling to articulate it to us. And you'll notice that throughout the chapter, he doesn't say anything was. He says it, it, was, it was as this. It was like this. It had the appearance of this. Because he's right at the borders of what he can articulate to help us to see what he has seen. 
Uh, and there, there's two worlds of imagery coming together in Revelation 4. One is the, is the Old Testament imagery. There's the rainbow, uh, like there was at the flood. Uh, there's the thunder and the lightning that there was at Mount Sinai when God appeared to the Israelites and they were terrified. There's the sea of glass that was there in the Temple of Solomon from 2 Chronicles. Uh, there's the animals of all the four living creatures representing all creation that God made in the beginning. And there's the 24 elders, which represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples. And the point is, it's all of God's people, all the people of the Old Testament, the 12 tribes, all the people of the New Testament, the 12 disciples, coming and bowing down to worship God, all creation, singing, holy, holy, holy. Worthy are you, our Lord God, to receive glory and honour and power. Uh, and at the same time as the Old Testament imagery, the other world of imagery that's being drawn on here is, is the imperial imagery. The, uh, the Roman emperor, who at the time that John's having this vision, is the most powerful human in the world. And the Christians in Revelation are being persecuted, and there's a lot about the power of the state and the danger of this emperor who's trying to stamp out Christianity. But the point here is very clear that, that it is God who is over the world, that it is God who is the king over all kings, and that all human power and all the things that loom so large in our imagination, all the things where we give glory and honour, and we'll have a coronation in a few weeks' time, where there'll be all the symbols of worldly power, they all bow before the one who is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the only one who truly deserves all our worship. Now, that this is who our God is. Uh, and in Chronicles and that service, they get a, just a glimpse of the glory of God that the elders and the angels in heaven see every single day as they worship him as God is worshipped every single day. Um, God says in Isaiah, I will not give my glory to another. Uh, and there's a sense that we used to talk a lot more than we do today about the fear of the Lord. And because the fear of the Lord is a really beautiful thing. It's not that we're scared of him and we're anxious because we don't know if he loves us. Um, it's not that we're scared of him. It's that we, are, we fall on our knees because he's so holy. We're awestruck by his beauty, by how worthy he is. And, and the fear of the Lord is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, I think when I read Revelation, I'm humbled by it. Uh, so let, let's go into groups. I've got two, two questions looking at Revelation 4. Um, First, just share a few of the things you pick out in the passage. What do you notice about the worship of heaven? Um, share a couple of the things it says. And then the question, my question for you is, how should knowing what is happening in heaven right now affect our worship today? What do you notice? And then how is knowing what is happening in heaven right now, how should that affect our worship today? And let's have five minutes in our groups. This adoration of who God is in Revelation chapter 4 um, to what we then see in Revelation chapter 5, which is then worship for God and what he's done. Uh, because one of the tensions, one of the paradoxes of the gospel is between what we thought about a couple of weeks ago and what we've seen in these passages, which is God's holiness, his glory, that he is the God who dwells in unapproachable light, the God who is a consuming fire. Uh, between all of that, God's holiness. It's, it's always in tension, in, in paradox with this invitation to us, with the access that we have to, the, to God, the intimacy that we have with him, to call him father, that he's described as a lover, as a friend, as a brother. Um, 
Uh, and I have three, there are three aspects to this. There's, there's access that we have to God. Uh, there's an intimacy to which we're invited. There's an encounter with the living God, which is what all the scriptures are pointed to. This isn't just abstract knowledge. We're not just meant to know that this is true. The point is that we know him. Not that we know about him, but that we know him, this encounter with the living God. Uh, and so read with me Revelation chapter 5 um, and verse from verse 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. The lamb has purchased by his blood people for God from every language and tribe and people and nation. Uh, and what that means is that all of, the, all of the theophany is the theological words for people encountering God. It means God appearing. So all of the theophanies in the Old Testament where God appears to people, they're marked by God's inaccessibility. Um, the burning bush, Moses hears a voice from the bush and he sees fire, but he doesn't see a person. And when he comes close, God says, take off your sandals because this is holy ground. And so he sees a manifestation of God, but it's just fire and words. And even then he's got to take off his sandals. When he asks to see God's glory, God says, no one can see my face and live. So I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass by and you'll see my back, but you won't see my face. And Elijah goes up the mountain and he, hears the earth, he sees the earthquake and the mighty wind and the fire. And then he hears a still small voice and he has this intimate encounter with God. But he does not see God. And yet in the New Testament, what Jesus has done means that the God who is unapproachable light, the God who is consuming fire, the God who sits on the throne of emerald and jasper and ruby with rainbows and thunder and lightning, who's worshipped by angels and multitudes, that we are invited into his presence. Hebrews chapter 6 says it this way, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever. And the God who is unapproachable because none could come close, we are invited to encounter because Jesus has gone ahead of us, because we're washed clean by his blood. Uh, remember Isaiah 6, two weeks ago, that Isaiah sees his sin and says, woe is me, but he's purified by coals from the brazier, burning incense in God's presence. Because for us, the one who knew no sin became sin. We have become the righteousness of God. The, the sin, the mess, the, all the stuff that means we can't access the presence of God, that we're cut off from him, is taken away and dealt with on the cross. We are washed clean by the blood of the Lamb in Revelation 5. 
And because we are purified, because we enter behind Jesus, we have access to this throne room in Hebrews chapter 6. And it's why um, one of the dominant metaphors then in the New Testament for what it is to be a, a, a Christian is that we're children of God. And we talk about being children all the time. And the point of being children is that children have access to their parents. Children can just enter in. And we talk a lot about being children of God, but I think that we we think of one or the other. We think we're children of God and we have the access, but we don't see how holy and awesome God is. We see how holy and awesome he is, but we forget that we have the access of children. And the two go together because of what Jesus has done for us. And so we adore him for who he is in awe and wonder. And yet we approach because we have access through the blood of the Lamb because we are welcomed into this intimacy with the Father, because we're adopted as his kids. And so we can encounter him, have the encounter with God that Adam and Eve had before sin had entered the world, when they walked with God in the garden. That's then ours and more, because his spirit lives inside us. I I can remember so clearly when Sophia was born, and as as she appeared, I burst into tears, and I held her in my arms, and, and, and... if you're a parent, you'll know your world changed. The world changed. Uh, the world was never going to be the same again. The center of the universe had physically moved, and I was holding it in my arms. And as I was crying, um, I, I was just overwhelmed with this love. I hadn't felt it before that, because for the dad, it's so abstract, isn't it, until the baby's actually there. Um, I was filled with this love for Sophia. And the thing is, she'd done nothing. In fact, what she'd done is covered in poo that went all over me. But... She'd done absolutely nothing to deserve it. She'd done absolutely nothing to earn my love. Uh, And it was there, total and overwhelming, just because she was my daughter. Uh, And the thing is that that's the love that this God has for us, the God who sits on the throne. Um, His his love for you breaks his heart. His love for you pours out from him. Uh, It's the prodigal father, when the prodigal son comes running back after he's messed up and he's screwed up his life and he's hurt his dad and he comes back on the road and he's not sure how he's going to be received and the father runs out and throws his arms around him and gathers it up in his embrace but that that father is the same god who's sitting here on the throne he climbs down from the throne and he comes down to earth and he dies on a cross to throw his arms around you Uh, and, and the point of that is that intimacy is honoring to god Think about the prodigal father, where as he runs and he throws his arms around the son, if the son had pushed him away, is that what the dad wanted? Of course not. He just wanted to hug his son. Didn't matter what it cost. Uh, And so just as we adore God and we have this awe and wonder at who he is, we also worship him by approaching, because he said, come in. Uh, I'm I'm not honoured or pleased by my children being scared of me and hanging back. I'm honoured and pleased when they push open my study door and run in for a cuddle. It's the access that our kids have. That's what we have to God. And he is pleased and honoured by our pursuit of intimacy with him because that's what he wants. That's why he died. If he hadn't wanted that, he wouldn't have died. It cost him so much, but he, he counted it all joy, Hebrews 12 tells us, because he wanted to know us. So that's the paradox of the gospel. The God who is holy and unapproachable light comes down off the throne and comes down to the cross for you and me to wrap his, rounds, his arms around us. We are washed clean by the blood of the lamb. We are invited into this throne room, the 
uh, Old Testament people of Israel weren't invited into it in this way. They stood at a distance to watch. But the throne room of heaven, Colossians 3 tells us, we are seated on high with Christ right now. There is an access that we have tonight as his people to the worship of the angels because we're covered in the blood of the Lamb and we're adopted as kids of the Father. Um, so I've got three questions about intimacy with God for you, and you can pick them. You don't have to remember all of them, but how do you feel about intimacy with God? Do you believe that you have access to this intimacy with God? And do you expect to encounter him when we come in worship? You can talk about all three. You can pick one. Intimacy with God. What Jesus has come and enabled for us by washing us clean with his blood. How do you feel about it? Do you believe that you have this access through the cross? And do you expect to encounter him when you come and worship? So five minutes in groups. How do you feel? Do you believe you have it? Do you expect to encounter him? And uh, just come back in. And in about 10 minutes, we're going to, um, to worship and we're going to pray and praise God uh, as, they, as they do here, as the people of Israel did 3,000 years ago. Um, but before we do that, I want to tell you a story of something that God's been doing uh, and show a quick video of it just to encourage us. Um, and particularly, actually, as we come to gift day, our gift day on Sunday for mission to the next generation, for, for mission to see this church full of young people meeting Jesus and filled with the same awe and adoration that we see here in the scriptures. Um, because in the last month, God's done something very special in um, a little bit of America, a move of God among younger people, and all 18 to 25-year-olds. Some of you will know I'm doing some study with a university called Asbury, and it's in a little town in America called Wilmore in Kentucky. It's a town of 6,000 people. And there's a small university. It's only got 1,500 students on one side of the road. And then on the other side, there's a seminary with a few hundred students. And uh, I and a few others from England are doing some distance study with the seminary. Um, but one month ago, after the chapel service uh, for this undergraduate body, um, the president of the university finished the service. And then just a bunch of 18-year-olds stayed and prayed and worshipped God. And they just praised him. Uh, and they didn't stop. Uh, and they went on all night, and then they kept going the next morning and the next day and the next day. Um, and God started to move. People came back to faith, people who'd walked away, people came to faith for the first time, people were physically healed, um, people, were, people began to encounter God and word got out that God was moving. Uh, it went on for two weeks before the university authorities stopped it, 24-7 praise and worship, because Wilmore's a town of 6,000 people, and they thought after the two weeks 100,000 people had come through. They were packing out and queuing for hours to get in. Uh, and you can imagine the ch challenge that puts on the human resources um, of a town of 6,000. Uh, I've been on a residential with some of the teachers this week, and one of the professors was saying he couldn't, he couldn't get any food. He couldn't get to the shops. He couldn't buy it. So they, they eventually called it. And they said, go, go and spread this around the country. And so God's just done something really wonderful. Um, and, and all it is, is it, 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 it's probably the best language for what he's done at Asbury this month, is it's an outpouring of his Holy Spirit. It's exactly what the Holy Spirit always does, leads us to Jesus, reveals Jesus, bears in us the fruit of his spirit. Um, it's what the Holy Spirit always does, and it's just more. He's just done it in a more intense way. Um, and it's exactly what we read in Chronicles. God's always present when we worship him, but then in that worship service, he came in a cloud in a more intense way. Um, and so I'd love to, to play now just a, it's an eight minute video, just telling the story of what God's done as an encouragement to us, that God is the God who we read of here in Revelation 
the God who met his people in the cloud of glory 3,000 years ago, is still at work today. And he wants our praise and adoration. Uh, and I would love it if we would be a people who are known for our worship of God because we love him and we long to encounter him. Um, in a little bit the same way as, as how the, people, the University of Asbury has now become known this month as a place where people are hungry for God and where he's done really special things. So let's watch this and then we'll sing and worship together. Church with a million dollar budget and a celebrity worship pastor and a dry ice machine. It was just in a university with a bunch of 18 year olds and the music was all just a guitar and a, and a cajon. Just people coming to, to seek God's glory. And it's been marked mostly just by adoration. That's one of the reasons I share it tonight. Just people coming and just pray, just worshiping God, just wanting to praise him for who he is. Uh, and so I'd love to invite us to do that now. Now, if the band want to come back, if, if you want to stand and, and perhaps um, just take a step in one direction, spread a little bit so that we're, we're, we're filling up the space. Um, uh, and what we're going to do is just um, do stand now. Um, we've got, we're going to take half an hour or so and we're, go, we're going to worship in, in a slightly different way to how we do on Sunday. Um, we'll all stand but feel totally free to sit um, or kneel or move around. Um, or lie down and fall asleep, you feel free to do what, whatever you'd like to do. Um, we're not just going to sing free songs and then stop. It's going to be quite unstructured. There'll be space. Um, and this, this isn't our Sunday context, so feel free in the space to call out praise or worship to God. There's a mic here at the front. Feel free to come and share anything if God puts it on your heart. Um, sometimes in the space, one of the things I love about the worship in two chronicles in, in the Old Testament, sometimes the people just sang to the Lord because they loved him. He puts a new song in our, in our hearts. And so in, in the space between songs, feel free to sing out and to, to lift your own song to God, just to sing hallelujah and worship him for who he is. Um, feel free to sit quietly and read your Bible. Feel free, to, feel free to engage however you want to. There's no right or wrong way. Um, what we want to do is just to take half an hour to praise God and to adore him. Uh, and so let me encourage you this evening to come into the throne room covered by the blood of the Lamb, who has purchased us for God from every tribe and nation and people and tongue, uh, to come expectant to the Father who loved you enough to get down off his throne and come down to earth for you, uh, to come trusting in Jesus' blood, uh, to see the King of kings and to give him glory, just to worship and praise the one who is worthy of all our adoration, the God who is holy, and to join with the living creatures and the elders, who sing out eternally, worthy is the lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So let's worship. Amen. Let's sing together. Mm -hmm. 